Hi, welcome to the 20 Minute Scriptorian. I'm Lori Denning, and this is my podcast following the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Come Follow Me curriculum. A little bit scholarly and a little bit inspirational, we hope to follow the course of study for 2021. Join me, Scriptorians. This is not an official representation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Welcome back, Scriptorians. This is Lori, and I'm glad to be back with the 20-Minute Scriptorian. Hey, we're headed into Doctrine and Covenants 3738 today as part of Come Follow Me. So crack open your scriptures, turn on your iPad, and let's jump in. So I appreciate everyone's patience as I've been going back to school and doing my master's degree. It's been super hard to get any time at all to do anything, uh, let alone the podcast. But I did want to touch on a few things today. So first, let's go through a little bit of the background and history of what's happening in Doctrine and Covenants 37, 38. We probably won't get to 39 and 40, uh, James Covell, but uh, let's do 37 and 38 today. We'll start with a little bit of context, what's going on, and then I want to talk a little bit of the issues of the gathering, and then finally touch on the introduction of the Lord uh, of himself. So just some introduction on what the Lord is like. So first, a little bit of context. So this is just a few months after the uh, church has been organized. We actually find ourselves in December of 1830. We're up in Fayette, New York again. So it's snowy, it's cold. It's not very long after, just six, eight months after the church has started. And Joseph Smith is done with the Book of Mormon, and he has started translating the, uh, the Bible, what we now call the inspired version or the Joseph Smith translation. Now, this isn't a translation like I grew up thinking about. I often think of translation like one language into another. So I sit down with a dictionary and a bunch of books, and I say, this is what it means in one language, and what does it mean in the other? So, uh, we do see some of that, but we see that we get the Book of Moses in this period, and when we get uh, sometimes clarification on meaning, maybe not a direct word-for-word translation, and like I mentioned, we have the book of Moses, which obviously there isn't anything sitting there at all. So it's just coming directly from the Holy Spirit. So pretty exciting times, but they're translating this book. And in part of that, we get this translation to uh, Sidney Rigdon and the prophet. And it says, hey, um, quit translating. It's not, I don't, it's not that important that you do that right this second. I want you to go to Ohio. Now, there were only 26 states in the United States at this point. And so it is the Ohio from New York, where it's fairly civilized, but still, you know, they're living on farms, to Ohio. This is nowhere. This is the edge of the wilderness. And in fact, this is when Sydney's going to go out and uh, perform his missionary. He's going to be one of the first missionaries. And he's going out to the Lamanites, probably what we think of as the Native Americans or the uh, Aboriginal people. And so it's like, hey, go as far as you can from anywhere you know and stop doing this really important thing. So that's where we see uh, that's going on. But we also see this interesting uh, revelation to gather. So gather. So jump into section 37 really quickly and let's just do one, two, three, and four. It says this, Behold, I say unto you that it's not expedient in me that you should translate anymore until you go to the Ohio and this because of the enemy and for your sakes. And again, I say unto you that ye shall not go until ye have preached my gospel in those parts and have strengthened up my, the church whithersoever it is found, and more especially in Colesville. For behold, they pray unto me in much faith. And again, a commandment I give unto the church that it is expedient in me that they should assemble together at the Ohio against the time that my servant Oliver Cowdery shall return to them. Behold, here is wisdom, and let every man choose for himself until I come, even so, amen. That's the whole section, section 37. Um, 
a wonderful uh, commandment. Here's why this is so exciting. What we looked at at uh, back in the Book of Mormon, and then if you go even farther back into the a uh, couple years ago when we studied New Testament, and even farther back when we did Old Testament, prophets have been talking about the gathering of Israel. When it, Israel again would be gathered, most of Israel is scattered, remember? I mean, most of the Bible is talking about the exile, the scattering, and this terrible event that has happened way, way, way back, you know, say 5,000 years ago. And now is the time that all those prophets were looking forward, and they were saying, there's going to be a time, though, when the Lord is going to begin to gather gather his people back together. And they looked forward with great anticipation. Some of my favorites are Nephi. He was, as we remember, Nephi is one of his like top four themes, is the gathering. And he used another prophet to talk about it, Isaiah. You bet, because Isaiah was living right in the middle of this terrible scattering. The north had been scattered. And then his people, um, the tribe of Judah, was going to be shortly scattered in his lifetime. And then all these prophets have been talking about it. In the Book of Mormon, you also see Jacob really looking forward to this time of the gathering of Israel. And you guys, this is it. Here's the commandment. It's finally time to gather. I love the way it ends as well. It starts as, this is for your sake, you know, the enemy. So what's going on um, up there in New York? Uh, very timely. But also, this is for your guys' sakes. You might say, well, this is really hard. I don't want to do it. It's snowy and it's cold and Ohio's the middle of nowhere and I don't have any property there and... Uh, moving isn't that easy in the 1830s, but it's for our sakes. But also, I love this place, how it ends. Behold, here is wisdom, and let every man choose for himself until I come. The Lord's not going to force us to do anything. He's going to invite. As always, the church, uh, the Lord is inviting the uh, the way of the Lord's church is to invite and to gently coax, right? And he's like, well, this is, this is a good idea, but you choose for yourself. I'm not going to make you do anything. Even so, amen. So a great, um, a great calling, but I just, it's so exciting to say, this is it, this is it. Chapter 37, get your big marker, circle it a thousand times and say, the gathering has begun and it is not ended in our day. The gathering of Israel is finally here. Hooray. Um, I have been thinking about what my master's thesis is going to be on. And this is the topic that keeps coming to mind is the gathering of Israel and a remnant um, being gathered in. I, I don't know if I'll get to choose it. They don't seem very excited about that, <laughs> but I am super excited about this topic. So this is it. Everyone's going to come back together. The final gathering of Israel has begun. So, and we're a part of it. How exciting is that? So that, that was the first, that's the context. So they're translating. It's not expedient to keep translating. I want you to go to the Ohio. And I also love this little tidbit uh, there that it says that uh, they have been praying. The people have been praying in much faith, right? So the Lord listens to those prayers and says, I want you to go there. So he does. So they go out and they pray, and this is where they meet. Um, uh, so uh, Oliver, uh, a bunch of people go down to Ohio, and uh, so you get Ziba Peterson, um, uh, one of the Whitmers, Peter Whitmer Jr., uh, Sidney Rigdon, and uh, Parley P. Pratt. And so they're out uh, missionary, and they meet. This is where you meet Sidney Rigdon. So this is when Sidney Rigdon is introduced to the church. There are maybe 60 members of the church at this time, not counting family members. And uh, when they come back, they'll have another 127 or so to add. So they've tripled uh, the membership of the church with this missionary endeavor. So pretty exciting time. Also, pretty small, right? The church is pretty small. We uh, take for granted how large it is today when it started so small. But there you go. There's some of the background of 37 and then 38. So let's flip over really quickly to 38 and see what's going on. 
there. 38 is a really powerful section. Um, this is again, there's a conference uh, just a month or so from 37, and they are having, you know, everyone's getting together again in Fayette, New York. And this is what the Lord's uh, revelation is to the people. Now, if you outline section 38, you're going to find that the first eight, uh, six to eight verses are the Lord introducing himself. So he's going to introduce himself. Then he's going to also give a number of issues that are going to come up. Now, remember, they've been asked to to move and to leave, and they're not. It's a pretty tough question. Um, I uh, was listening to another uh, lecture, and they were saying that, you know, did the saints go in 37? And they said, go gather. Did they go? No, they didn't go. <laughs> they didn't go. It was like, hey, uh, do you ever go to lessons and... Um, you know, conference talks and you're like, man, I'm so moved. And then you don't do anything. Well, I love that the saints then were the same as the saints and me today. We don't always follow those promptings. And that was what's 37. So here in 38, the Lord's going to be like, I understand your concerns. I understand what's going on. And he's going to try to assuage those concerns. So if you were to outline section 38, you're going to find the Lord is going to try to offset some of the concerns. He's going to address them. What, um, merciful, tender mercy that the Lord's going to take some time to say, I asked you to go and I understand how hard it is. So he's going to talk about it. So if you outline it, you'll see he's going to take the first few, uh, six, one through six specifically, but one through eight, he's going to talk about himself and introduce himself. We'll come back to that. And then he's going to talk about us uh, for the next through nine through 12. Then there's a section that he's going to talk about in 13 through 22, where the Lord is going to say, okay, remember, we're trying to get everyone to go to Ohio. And he's going to offset their concerns by saying, there is a land of promise for the saints. This is important. This is this land of promise that has been given. Also, we have to join together. Um, He's going to talk about some of the people that have come uh, forward that's saying, hey, some people are planning against you. Um, You might have some poverty. Uh, You're going to have some issues. And he's going to offset each of their concerns. So as you kind of chunk through the section, you'll see um, it's helpful to see that he's he's talking about the concerns that we have when the Lord asks us to do something. So I want you, as you read this, maybe ask yourself, has there ever been a request that the Lord has made of you that you're like, ah, I'm not really sure I'm ready for that. Maybe he's talking to somebody else, um, et cetera. I think, I think that's pretty easy for most of us to, to think of, um, of a time when we've been asked to do something that's pretty hard. I was teaching a seminary this week and, uh, I'm not a seminary teacher, but I was teaching seminary this weekend and we we're asking the students, uh, their seniors, you know, what are some of the things the Lord has asked you? And some of the really profound answers is a couple were like, I don't know that I want to go on a mission, um, but I'm feeling like I should go. Uh, so this young woman was feeling prompted and she's struggling with it. Like, I don't that wasn't ever in my uh, plans. Um, I'm now a senior. It would be very soon for me. And I'm wondering if I should. So can you think of that boy? You're that young and, and you're pondering a big plan. Maybe it's something isn't that big. Maybe it's just something <laughs> like uh, take on a calling that you don't want to do. Um, maybe it's just uh, maybe forgive that family member that uh, you, you had some problems with. I don't know. There are lots of things, right? So take this chapter and maybe apply it to that. And I think it's a it's a great chapter for that. All right. I did want to discuss some really awesome stuff, though, in this beginning section, which is really one through eight. So for the last little bit, let's um, let's look at 38, one through eight. And, and I wanted to look at it because this is when the Lord is going to introduce himself. He's going to tell us a lot about himself. 
and and it's just really profound and it's got some really exciting insights of when when we are struggling with trials in our life or when we have questions or when the Lord has asked us something, he's going to be there right with us. So he is introducing himself to say, hey, you're not on your own when I ask you to do this stuff. I'm right there with you. And who am I? I'm the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's flip over to 38 and let's dig into that for just this, uh, this last little bit. All right. So f- let's read just a few verses together and then let's jump in. So again, I think what really makes this profound to me and maybe you see something else, is that the Lord is introducing himself. So before we jump in, one other thought. Can you think of a number of other times when the Lord has introduced himself? Can you think of times in other scripture where the Lord has introduced himself? It might be worth study to go back and say, when are some times? I was thinking of a number of times uh, from each of the book of scripture and thinking of when the Lord had introduced himself. We have a lot of that in Doctrine and Covenants from Doctrine and Covenants 1 onward. Uh, I also liked from the Old Testament, we see that um, one of my favorites, it's Exodus 34, when the Lord introduces himself. I may quote that in a minute. Uh, And then obviously in the New Testament, we have uh, Christ introducing himself. And sometimes like, hey, don't tell people. And sometimes they just see him and and recognize him as, as the son of God. But there are some other places that he introduces himself. And here's one of them. So if the Lord was going to tell us something about himself, especially when he's asking us to do something difficult, he's asking us to understand what, he, what he's wanting us to do, he's going to tell us a lot about himself. And here it goes. Thus saith the Lord your God, even Jesus Christ, the great I am, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the same which looked upon the wide expanse of eternity and all the seraphic hosts of heaven before the world was made, the same which knoweth all things, for all things are present before mine eyes. I am the same which spake, and the world was made, and all things came by me. Wow. <laughs> That's, <laughs> wow. If you don't feel the power of that introduction, that is something else. I'd love to that it's not a herald, right? It's the Lord himself speaking to us. And he is saying, it's me. I'm the one that's giving you this commandment. I am, and listen to how he introduces himself, the Lord, your God. Um, I'm God himself. And I am Jesus Christ. I am Jesus, the anointed one. I am the great I am. So if you take each of these, there's just such story and depth. I'm just going to pick a couple of them that resonate with me. Please pick a couple that resonate with you. I love the I am story, right? This is where we meet this in Exodus, where it's the burning bush and um, the Lord is, appears to Moses and the people need deliverance, right? They are in captivity. They are uh, many, many people, but they are not allowed to worship. They aren't really even a people anymore, right? They're with the Egyptians. It's a time that echoes our time. There are many, many people, but we need deliverance. We're not even sometimes unified. And here's Moses, um, the kind of reluctant prophet at the beginning. He's like, no, he doesn't say like seven times. No, no, I'm good. Call somebody else. Um, um, What humility, but also like, hey, I'm not sure about this. Um, And, and here's the Lord saying who he is. He says, I am the great I am. Um, In Hebrew, I am is uh, Jehovah. Instead of Yahweh. So Yahweh is he is, and Jehovah is I am, but you he couldn't say it that way, so we had to say that he is, the great he is, the great I am, the one who exists, 
the one who is. Now we take that name and we kind of anglicize it um, by way of Germany, actually, and make it Jehovah instead of Yahweh. Um, but that's that's where it comes as the Hebrew verb to be. I am the one who is. I love that story because it so reflects where I feel like we are or I am often in my life that um, is he even there? Uh, is he even aware of us? Sometimes the world seems going to this crazy pace and things are happening all around us. Is he even aware? And he says, not only am I aware, I am. I am the one who exists. He also calls himself the Alpha and Omega. We see that also in um, the New Testament, right? The beginning and the end. Those are the beginning and the end of the Greek alphabet. I'm the A to Z. Uh, If I translated that in my own language, it would be I'm everything in a bag of chips, right? I'm from here to there. I am everything. I am the beginning and the end. Um, these sometimes too, there's a, there's a form of poetry in Hebrew where you use two like heavens and earth beginning in the end, alpha and omega, and it's called a merism. And it kind of means everything and everything in between it. So it's kind of like a bookend, right? So <laughs> it's this end of the books and that other end and everything in between is a merism. So the beginning and the end heavens and the earth, alpha and omega, I am everything. I am everything. Um, so these really resonate with how powerful, how big, how present uh, God is, how present the Savior is, and says that. He also says, I am the same which looked on the wide expanse of eternity and all the seraphic hosts of heaven. That's a big word. Uh, seraphic. So the seraph for the fiery ones. Um, so you see them, uh, sometimes cherubim, sometimes seraphim, uh, the ones that are guarding the way to heaven. So this is, there's a lot of like Garden of Eden and temple imagery here. Remember, uh, the Garden of Eden is where God walked and talked with humanity. And then when they were cast out, remember, there was a tree of life. And uh, it was, you know, we see in another tree of life, it was white and delightsome, Um, almost like Moses looking at a bush that was a tree like substance that was white and burning and there was God in the middle of it. Um, so I think this tree imagery of God being uh, the source of life, um, it permeates this, whether it's the, the burning bush or the tree of life or the tree of life in um, Lehi's vision, you see this and he's going to refer back to that. And those seraph, the seraphic hosts, the many um, uh, spiritual beings that inhabit that other uh, realm are, he is uh, there uh, when all of those were made. He's he's above all of them. So remember the, the cherubim are even on the uh, mercy seat. It's on the ark. It's on the veil. It's warning us or inviting us or reminding us of the presence of God is near when those uh, those are, f- they're there, those spiritual beings. So these spiritual beings and all the hosts of heaven, um, almost like the stars, right? Ooh, these fiery beings in heaven. I was there before the whole world was made. This is no puny God. This is this is God himself. And so I love that. Now, don't get worried if you're like, well, it's the Father, it's the Son. Um, don't get worried. The Lord is introducing himself, and, um, and he was the great creator. He continues on this same theme, the same which knoweth all things, for all things are present before mine eyes. Um, the Lord sees everything. He knows everything. So it's, uh, there's nothing we can't tell him. There's nothing we can't share with him. There's nothing he's not aware of. He is God. So go back just a second in the story. The saints are a little bit worried about going to the Ohio and leaving New York. Um, 
hundreds and hundreds of miles away through the winter, uh, trying to sell their homes and, and all of this that's going on. They're a very small group. And it would certainly be pretty challenging, even just financially, to make this move. And he is saying, I know all things, and all things are present before my eyes. I know what I'm asking, um, and I'm there for you. Thus I am the same which spake, and the world was made, and all things came by me. This really reminds me of John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And by, you know, his, the Word, you know, everything was created. So I spake, and the world was made, right? The power of, um, of the Lord, not only that, but kind of ties into to me the idea of speaking and making covenants and vows and uh, sacraments are here with this, this power that we have. So overall, what do you get with these first three verses? Maybe jot it down. What is he trying to say? For me, he's trying to say, I am the great and powerful Lord. I am, I know everything. I was the one that created everything. Um, gives me an idea of greatness and, and power. And yet he's going to temper it here in a minute with how much he loves us and is aware of each of us. Then he turns the gear here a little bit as we start to transition in verse four. I am the same which have taken the Zion of Enoch into mine own bosom. And verily I say, even as many as have believed, have believed in my name. For I am Christ, and in mine own name, by the virtue of the blood which I have spilt, I, have I pleaded before the Father for them. This is a weird transition if we don't remember what he was reading. He's like, I'm the same one who took up Zion, and everyone who's believed in my name in Christ, and by virtue of the blood, because he is the Savior, because of his sacrifice, because of the gift of his life, and, and, uh, and the atonement of Jesus Christ, I am the advocate with the Father. I am the one that can take people into myself. Now, they were translating, as you remember, the book of Moses. And this is where we see, like, Moses 7, when it talks about Enoch and this city of Zion. In the Old Testament, there's only, like, a verse or so about Enoch. So so it's like, what? And, um, and here we read uh, in Moses a lot more. So it's on our minds. And the Lord is going to be doing this gathering. And what is that gathering? It's this return to this Eden state to a city of Eden, Zion, Temple, Garden, Jerusalem, right? We're all going to be returning to the state. Now, it might be a real place. Um, we know it will be at one point, but we also know that it can be a state of mind or the people um, in general. So across the world, we can all be living in a Zion kind of community. So he's going to start introducing this idea. I'm asking you to gather, and I'm the one that gathered those way back when, when Enoch was there. And everyone who's believed, and by virtue of the sacrifice that he made, he can uh, do this. He can take people and make them his own and then plead before the Father. He can deliver us. All right, so keeps going, just a few more verses. But behold, the residue of the wicked have I kept in chains of darkness until the judgment of the great day, which shall come at the end of the earth. And even so will I cause the wicked to be kept that will not hear my voice, but harden their hearts and woe woe, woe is their doom. Um, so this residue, uh, this is also like reminding us of this great gathering that's going to happen. The residue of the wicked have I kept in chains of darkness until the judgment of the great day. So there are um, reminding us of what's coming. We need to be able to be together and be one as, as this is going to happen. Also reminding us, don't be the wicked. Don't become one of the wicked. It, this is 
up to us which side we choose to follow the Lord or not. And he reminds us they will harden. What makes them wicked? When they harden their hearts, when they don't listen. It was the same problem that we found in um, the ancient days in the Old Testament times, right? Um, that they hardened their hearts. And the Lord, uh, I love how it says, uh, is it? Jeremiah 31, I, I ask for them to, Ezekiel 31, um, to have fleshy hearts of, no more hearts of stone, but put in me a fleshy heart. All right, I got to look that up because I, I think I quoted that wrong. Hold on. All right, if you want to look that up, I kind of slaughtered those references, but you can't find Ezekiel eleven nineteen, Ezekiel 36, 26, Jeremiah 31, 33, and Hebrews 8 and 10. Um, the one that I was thinking was this uh, tw- Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. It's kind of a weird reference, but I love the idea that uh, if we don't harden our hearts, the Lord can put in within us a new heart, a heart of flesh, something soft and and something that the Lord can use. Um, Ezekiel 11 does the same. I will give unto them one heart and a new spirit and I will put within them. So they're quoting each other. Um, and then I love this uh, Jeremiah 31, 33. And what I was, they always go together, this Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, because it's talking about this new covenant that the Lord, the Savior, when he institutes the new covenant, um, uh, that we see that it's, that it's going to bring us together. Let me read that because it's really poignant. So listen to this. This is awesome. Jeremiah 31, 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. That there's a time coming when the Lord will make the covenant the law on our hearts. It's not just something that we just do on the outside, but it changes us internally. And on those days, the Lord will write it within us if we allow him to. And this is where Hebrews picks up the theme and he quotes the exact same thing. He's saying, but this is the covenant I will make. I will put their laws in their minds and I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So there's this time, this gathering that's coming and he's reminding us that it's up to us to choose. It's up to us to say, I want to be with the Lord at this time. All right, brothers and sisters, jump in, find out what's going on here in Doctrine and Covenants 37, 38 and uh, just, just, this is powerful stuff. This is exciting stuff. The gathering is here. I'm excited to be a part of it. All right. Keep on reading.